0: It is a uh, delight to be here at Emmaus after uh, too long away from from this place. Um, it's been seven years. I, uh, I was remembering on our way down here today, Julie and I were driving down to Northfield from where we live, and uh, I was remembering seven years ago, uh, almost to the day, uh, I was invited by Abe to preach uh, sometime, and we were talking about the dates that might work best, and and he said, well, Kelly and my anniversary is on August 2nd, and uh, so, you know, and I said, so, you know, so that's what we, uh, the deal that we cut, and um, uh, I was remembering seven years ago, I, I stood in the pulpit at Park Avenue United Methodist Church, where I had gone from Northfield to serve for... Those seven years, and um, and it happened to be on my birthday. And I got up to preach, and I said, "So, so this is what you do for your pastor on his birthday? Nothing." And uh, <laughs> of course, they didn't know. Uh, and those of you who have been around me uh, for too long, you know that uh, I'm not shy about mentioning my birthday, which is tomorrow. And uh, it also happens that. My love language is material things, so, uh, so you know, give some thought to that. Uh, it's a joy to be here. Um, I am also grateful for the series that Pastor Abe has been leading you in, a consideration of God's call to justice. Uh, a biblical call to justice. We're going to uh, continue that theme today by turning together to uh, the book of Proverbs, the 22nd chapter, which has been alluded to uh, beautifully and a number of times in our service already. Uh, We're going to read just a a few verses here and there from Proverbs 22, beginning in the verse numbered 1. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. For the rich and the poor have this in common, the Lord is maker of them all. Whoever sows injustice will reap calamity, and the rod of anger will fail. Those who are generous are blessed, for they shall... Share their bread with the poor. And verse 22. Do not rob the poor because they are poor or crush the afflicted at the gate. For the Lord pleads their cause and despoils of life those who despoil them. um, I'm tempted to read the next verse. Uh, Make no friends with those given to anger, and do not associate with hotheads, but I'll, I'll not uh, include those verses this morning. Um, and I'll try not to be hotheaded today, but would you pray with me? And now, Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, for you are indeed my rock and my redeemer. Amen. We are uh, stepping into a part of the Bible that doesn't get our attention all that often the book of Proverbs. I ran across some Proverbs not in the Bible the other day, ones I got a kick out of. Uh, This one, The sooner you fall behind, the more time you'll have to catch up, uh, which pretty much describes my cross country running career in high school. I love this one. Eat a small toad in the morning and it will be the worst thing you do all day. I, I think that's probably true. Yogi Berra, um, Hall of Fame catcher of the New York Yankees, was famous for his proverbs. If you don't go to other people's funerals, they won't go to yours. I uh, might have to think about that one for a moment. Then my personal favorite this African proverb. If your enemy wrongs you, buy each of his children a drum. And uh, as the parent of a drummer, I can attest to uh, that wisdom, Brian, uh, all that you put people through over the years. Well, the biblical book of Proverbs while it doesn't show up too often in our preaching or readings on Sunday, it's probably more familiar to us than we realize. For example, we sometimes sing the Proverbs in church. We already did that, but I want to ask Rob to uh, offer up a little bit more here. The name of the Lord is to uh, not let you go into the whole whole thing there, Rob, but thank you. (laughs) That's from Proverbs 18, verse 10, and I love that image of God's name being a strong tower that we can run into and experience God's protection and salvation. Maybe you remember memorizing this one, uh, maybe in Sunday school growing up. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways Acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. I uh, was remembering my brother, my oldest brother, David, um, he went to a thing called uh, Christian Boys Brigade on Wednesday nights in our church growing up. I, I chose Cub Scouts and not church, uh, which probably explains a few things about me. But, but uh, they were making... Um, wood-burning plaques, that was the craft of the night. And so he chose a proverb for his plaque, he is poor who hath no patience. Only he misspelled the word patience, patientess. And uh, David grew up to become a newspaper editor (laughs) and a writer and uh, taught at the University of Minnesota for many years uh, writing. And so he had that plaque on the wall of his office all those years. Uh, he is poor who hath no patience. The Proverbs were written as a way of passing along a father's wisdom and understanding to his children. Solomon, King David's son, wrote the Proverbs, most of them anyway, to share with his children some practical ways of dealing with life's challenges. Here we find plain talk about the spiritual life, about its values, honesty and diligence, trustworthiness, self-restraint, what an appropriate attitude toward wealth and poverty is. Solomon wrote to help young people who were preparing to take on adult responsibilities. And they can seem random, the Proverbs can, like they're running all over the place. But taken as a whole, we get this very practical handbook for what a wise life looks like. They talk about sound preparation, about getting ready ahead of time. The image is one of a generous, hospitable house, a place of tranquility, of welcome, a place where good choices are made, where people become strong and whole. It's like being on a trip with somebody who's thought of everything. Uh, Julie and I just got back from a uh, week at Gooseberry Falls State Park, which you might have read about in the paper this week, the uh, black flies. Uh, they, they picked us up and, and carried us away. And, uh, and we came home needing uh, blood transfusions. Uh, but we had a wonderful time. We just decided we were gonna have a wonderful time. But Julie, she thinks of everything. Uh, when we're gonna go camping. Or it's like an experienced fishing guard, another guide, uh, another somebody I'd be helpless without, somebody who gets it. You just don't go out on the water without a sturdy boat. You don't go out unless you've laid in provisions, unless you've trained your mind to remember what worked in the past so that you can build on that for the future. All of that is wisdom. But there's another dominant theme to the book of Proverbs, one we come to today here in chapter 22, the theme of God's economy, God's way when it comes to the matter of wealth and resources, the responsibility of those who have toward those who do not have. It's all over the place in Proverbs. The foolishness of pursuing wealth over reputation, over our good name, the dire consequences in store for those who take advantage of somebody else's circumstance, circumstance that has left them to vulnerability. It's the danger of forgetting who we are in God's sight, common in our humanity with all God's children. That's the heart of these verses, right there at the end of verse 2. For the rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is maker of them all. In other words, God makes no distinctions, even though we do. Oh my, do we make distinctions. Contemporary American culture uses the language of distinction all the time, words that connote otherness, words like the poor or immigrants or gays and lesbians or rednecks or fill in the blank. And Proverbs 22 would remind us The Lord is maker of them all. It means that in God's creation, one of human equality, labels, and our suspicion about otherness is morally and ethically wrong. Thinking and acting that results in an unjust treatment of others brings calamity God wants us to know. While justice and generosity bring blessing. St. Luke, in, in his gospel, tells a story I'm haunted by. It was when Jesus went back to his hometown one day, back to Nazareth, back where he grew up, back where I presume he played baseball with his pals and had lemonade stands and first learned to swing a hammer, grew up going to temple. It happened to be the Sabbath day that day, so He went to the synagogue because that's what he did on the Sabbath. And somebody spotted him there, recognized him, and invited him. This local kid made good, now preaching all over the place, doing miraculous things, invited Jesus to read the Scripture, which was a position of honor. And so he did. Jesus stood up and read from that part of the Old Testament, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, the part where it says that God had anointed God's servant to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free. And when he got down, he told them that, that he was that servant. He was God's anointed one, and then he sat down. And we read that the hometown folk were amazed at what they'd just heard. Why, isn't that Joseph the carpenter? Isn't that his kid? But Jesus wasn't fooled by that reaction, discerned that their praise was hollow, wasn't based on a true understanding of who he was or what he was about, so he didn't settle for their applause. Instead, he pushed their buttons, told about how in the days of old when there was a famine in the land, how God sent help through the prophet Elijah, not to the pure-blooded Jewish widows who were suffering, but to a Gentile widow in a neighboring land. He told of the time when the disease of leprosy was afflicting all kinds of people in Israel, how God sent the prophet Elisha to bring healing and how it was Naaman, the Syrian, who was healed. And guess what happened to the applause meter when he told those stories? Well, we read that the crowd, the same people who just six verses earlier had given him their highest approval rating, were now fit to be tied, and all the synagogue was filled with wrath, wrath, Luke tells us. And they rose up and put him out of the city, led him to the top of a hill that they might throw him down head first. Really? Yes, really. Don't be telling us to include the other Jesus. You see, Jesus' message was clear. Belonging to Israel doesn't give anybody a special right to be healed. Neither does coming from Jesus' hometown. Neither does having a pure pedigree, or in our case, being an American, or a Baptist, or a Methodist, or any other stripe. None of that gives anybody a special, exclusive right to the gospel. The good news is good news for everybody, Jesus shattered tribalism, shattered ethnic walls, shattered the way we brand people, label people, went out of his way to minister to the stigmatized, be it socially, racially, politically, emotionally, physically, religiously, people who found themselves on the outside looking in. He reached out to every outsider he met, to demoniacs, the blind, the deaf, prostitutes, tax collectors, adulterers, widows, the lame, lepers, the diseased, the paralyzed, Samaritans, the hungry, the thirsty, the naked, the imprisoned, women, and Gentiles. How's that for a list? For the Lord is maker of them all. It's the genius of the gospel that our common bond of unity in Jesus is stronger than any kind of social glue we might try to hold people together. I mean, where else can you find such a diverse group of people reconciled with one another, reconciled in a common faith like we seek and find in the church, like we seek to find here at Emmaus? It doesn't mean we all get thrown together in the same pot. It doesn't mean we lose our culture or identity. It just means that here we discover how much we need each other that those who tend to live in their heads need people who live with their hearts and vice versa. And both groups need to be around people who live out their faith with their hands and their feet. Those passionate about the lost coming to faith in Christ need those passionate about justice and vice versa the young need the old, the old need the young. Those of us born into privilege need those who are not born into privilege. It is our vision as a church that we would be, as Emmaus has chosen to identify itself, that vision that we honor each person's diverse expression of faith in Jesus, that we would affirm the inestimable worth of every person and the importance always of seeking to understand another's Point of view in humbleness. That comes from the Emmaus statement of congregational identity, by the way. Now, I don't believe ours is a God who wants to withhold that from us, that kind of experience of community, of inclusiveness, of looking out for each other, of learning to become more generous with each other and the world. Because when I settle for the birds of a feather flock together thing in my life, When I close myself off from those who have lived longer than I have, those who have experienced the presence of God differently than I have, those whose culture and perspective on the world is different from mine, when I fail to acknowledge that the Lord God made them all, then I become poor. That's why I so love being a part of the church I got to be a part of in Minneapolis, just a couple blocks from... 38th in Chicago, which, which the whole world knows about now. And I want to thank Emmaus on behalf of the people of Park Avenue United Methodist Church for your generosity, many gifts given to Park in recent weeks for their ministry. also true of the church here at Emmaus that I got to be a part of for 26 years, the church Emmaus still aspires to be. I know i shared this with some of you before, but if we use a set-the-bar, really low uh, definition of what constitutes a multicultural church, that if we say that no more than 80% of any one ethnic group Can make up the congregation in order to be defined as multicultural. Do you know that only 8% of churches in America can meet even that modest standard? It means Dr. King was and still is right. Now, 50 years later, when he said that the most segregated hour in America is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, which I believe grieves the heart of God, So becoming a church that reflects what heaven will be like requires much listening and paying attention. What Pastor Abe has been preaching of late requires that we be intentional about our need for each other. But know this, it doesn't just happen. That kind of church, having good intentions. You know that, right? I was with some friends not long ago, and I got to talking about what we once said on our tombstones. It—it it was uh, sounds a lot more morbid than it actually was that conversation. But I said, "Well, I know what mine will say. Here lies Will Healy. He meant well." <laughs> and of course, everybody laughed. But you know what? I don't want to be remembered as somebody who meant well. I want to be remembered as somebody who, by the grace of God in my life, lived well. And God's design for how we live well lies in not trying to do that by ourselves. It's in community. It's in the church. It's why I want to challenge you over the next days and weeks, challenge you to step further into the life of this place. There are emerging opportunities coming here. Opportunities to be together in due time. But also to worship together, to learn together, to serve together. To worship, learn, and serve with, hear this, people unlike ourselves. It's a great gift we've been given. That. Would you pray with me? And as we come before our Lord Jesus, who intercedes for us with his heavenly Father, might you sit in a question for just a moment? Are we willing to set aside our sometimes fear Sometimes suspicion to admit that maybe, just maybe, we don't have all the answers, that God might have something for us to learn and grow from, and even from someone we might least expect, that we might choose to become teachable. God, that's my prayer this morning for myself, and I'd be so bold as to pray on behalf of my sisters and brothers here in this room and gathered in many places that we might choose to become teachable, that your justice would reign in this church and in this community and by extension in our nation, and in our world. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen.